Welcome to the Vet Space Ireland podcast. It's wonderful to have you on. And thank you for taking time out of your busy veterinary and walking schedule to join us tonight. We appreciate it massively. How are you? Thank you, Hazel, with two L's, and Michelle, with two L's. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, Michelle, you have three, would you? Am I right? Three L's. E-L-L-E. No. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me this evening. You're welcome. Um, my mum actually put two L's to balance the two L's in Mullins. So. I was actually wondering that. I was wondering if originally you were Hazel in the traditional sense, but maybe you in your teenage years or something, it was like, <laughs> but that's great that it's authentic. It is authentic, yes. So it was great. On that point, actually, I know that there was a, a show called Paul Dara, and I thought to myself, if I was his son, I could have been Dara Dara. <laughs> Oh, well, I think this is the sign for what this podcast is going to be for the night. A bit of fun and maybe some education and inspiringness from Dara. He's looking at me now like, mm, I don't know. But um, Before we start any questions, acknowledge that Dara was definitely the superstar Let's Get Physical ambassador and definitely brought joy to a lot of people's days during the month of October. Definitely, yes. Thank you, Dara, for that. Dara, you've got yeah. such good inspiration there. Where did it come from? Oh, um, no, it was really thanks to you guys. I, I, I just, I suppose I wasn't that comfortable uh, doing the, the story things, but then I hadn't seen like some of the lads in ages and well, like any of us. And it actually was a great way to keep in contact in a weird way. So I think I called out John Fitt uh, first mm-hmm. because it always was good fun sagging on about um, the type of like athletic gear he wore no matter what the time of year it was and yeah. then it just I, I suppose I got happy enough talking about walking and its importance <laughs> <laughs> and then he would have known like the kind of the benefits that, that came with it you know like soon after that month ended there was a lot of interest um, you know like you guys say the, the PM blew up yeah. the PMs yeah <laughs> it's pretty funny because I was home I shouldn't say that because I'm supposed to be in lockdown but my mum's dog was really unwell last week so I had to fly home one evening just to see her and she was there saying who's that lad that you do have there on bit space Jesus he's gas your man that does be walking you have a lot of fans like, in the non-veterinary world Dara Dara I said he is gas you're dead right at the Dizzy Heights, I think I was getting like 62 viewers for each story, literally about walking. And then I think that's reflected in the kind of collaborations that came across my door. So there was one from um, Pink Pineapple. Um, <laughs> but then I did my due diligence and I'm not convinced it was like fully. For you? And then the other one was Diamond Brasserie. And I thought it was going to be, you know, like a dining place. But then I clicked on it and it, it meant something else. It wasn't. Oh. You know, <laughs> 
I think the most important thing, Dara, is to just be true to your brand. Like, you know, be true to you. Don't just take any collab. Noted. <laughs> so Dara, right, we're going to start off and maybe just talk us through your veterinary journey and where it all started. And, you know, you can go before as much as you want and, and just give our audience a little taster of what your journey was. Uh, yeah, so I always loved animals and uh, like all vets, I think, all vets, all nurses, like we all love animals and um, that's at the, the heart of it. And I suppose my aunt would always tell me like she was studying psychology and she apparently used me as a two-year-old or a four-year-old for one of her reports and it was very animal focused. And I was quite lucky, like my granny was a vet as well. She was like a, a large animal vet in uh, Mullingar in County Westmead. So that was great because I used to my son helping her with TV testing actually, mainly. So that was great to kind of get exposed to that. And so she, I think we, we looked this up, I think she would have been one of the first like female vets. So it was, I, I never really thought twice about it, but it was great that she would walk onto a farm and be like giving out to farmers and telling them like, you need to get all this set up, like come back to me when it's ready, like this kind of thing. And um, yeah, I remember a couple of times, like I remember going down, I would have 16 or so. So, you know, in transition year, everyone, you know, you get your, your week's work experience. And I was really happy to do it with my granny. And I think as well, she, with another practice in Mullingar, but um, I remember a bullet got loose and came charging right at us. And I, I just froze. I was like, oh crap, I'm totally <laughs> And she walked in front of me and closed the gate and pulled the latch just as the bullet hit the gate. And it was like, oh shut I, I, I was a standard. I was definitely dead. And if she was like a second later closing the latch, she was gone. She was like skittered. But just goes to show like, it's amazing when you come across vets like that, who uh, mm. have had like a lifetime of, of like, just knowing where to stand, what to do. So that would have been like the main focus of, uh, our main source of like, the main source of uh, of all my exposure, and then I I did leave insert and didn't get the point. I had the veterinary start, didn't get the points. Love languages, so I did German and Italian, and I was right on a knife edge. So I was I was offered a job to go and work with Ford Bia, promoting Irish food in Germany. And the, uh, so oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, and and uh, so I, I I applied for that in the middle of final year of German and Italian. And it, you know, on paper was quite good, you know, everything about it was quite good. But at back of mind, I was like, oh man, like am I ready to leave like veterinary behind? Cause I still hadn't totally forgotten about it. And my dad and friends to him, he said to me, oh here, look, they're after opening up the, um, the eligibility criteria for postgrad entry into veterinary. Beforehand, you had to have done a science degree. Okay. And a year they'd opened it up where you could do any discipline would, would permit you entry as long as you've done obviously the prerequisite pre leaving cert you still have to have done chemistry and things like that and then i sat the gamsat which were pretty vicious um they're very vicious actually uh, and i was lucky enough to have done very well pretty well in those i, the, I can't remember what percentile you have to get but it's high enough and then myself and five others uh, i think engineer a nurse, a physio, and a PhD student, and then I was an art student. We were the ones to get in with the five grad entries to UCD. And then uh, thus ensued five years in UCD, absolutely brilliant. And um, we had we were very, very lucky with our year. Uh, in that I think it's like any other any other year 
everyone kind of goes off into your own pockets of like 10 people, 15 people or so. But then each year went on and it got more clinical. And then by final year, we had, I still say like we were blessed with our year. Like it was brilliant. Yeah. Like, we got on so well and just great. Like, and I still miss those, like, you know, everyone would be kind of pretending to be a vet in final year, basically. Uh, I think pretty much what everyone does. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And um, that's it. That's pretty much how got into that well your granny sounds like an absolute legend and i think she has um deserved the right to be named on this podcast for being one of the founding uh members of the female large animal vet i'm like oh i need to know who she is yeah so she she like dolly urell or josephine jd urell uh, jd newman excuse me she would be known as so jd Jos- newman yeah and she but, also um, class like some type of hollywood name yeah yeah (laughs) well thank you jd newman for putting down the pathways for future vets uh to follow um she's an inspiring woman by the sounds of it well she also was was a large part of the reason how i learned to drive so i remember driving through multi-farming village and I really couldn't have been, I'd say I was 14 or 15, like definitely should not have been driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was like, there's a small guard station there and I was stuck in first. I was stuck in first for a while actually, but I think mm. she kind of was wanting me to sweat it because I just couldn't work the clutch again into second. And uh, anyway, you know that the car's like, mm-hmm. past the guard station and um, the guards come out to wonder what's going on. And anyway, oh God. She, grabbed second she grabbed and just yanked in second without me touching the clutch and we teetered off up the road but there's a child driving a car get away <laughs> oh dear like isn't it lovely to have childhood memories like that that in you know lead you down a certain path of career as well and it's nice i suppose maybe for any future you know uh, postgrad entries into veterinary as well to listen to this podcast and see you know that you can become Daryl Hanlon if you, you know, <laughs> work hard enough and do well in your camp is that still there is that still is that process still the same I think or... it is I, I think yeah. so yeah I think so and uh, I think it's it is it is a pretty it is a pretty nuts exam I've heard of people taking like extended periods of time like more than months off to study for it and if you happen to like i was lucky in that i still remembered a lot of my chemistry from the leave insert but my words and and it's yeah anyway not only talk about the gamsat but i know weird exam it is a weird exam <laughs> and it was it was it um when you enter you know like with your five other postgrad did you kind of did you enter like mingle with everyone or did you kind of stay as a clique for a while or how did you no, so uh, when I first said veterinary, I, I quickly realised that I was one of the few people from Dublin in the room because everyone was sat down and basically we were told, you thought the leave insert was tough. Well, now it's going to get tough. Like that was the inspirational like first lecture. And, uh, oh, so true. And I remember, actually, actually, I don't even mind saying this because I know he'd say something similar to me, but uh, Richard Ryan stood up. Like Kilkenny had obviously just won the All-Ireland. Richard Ryan stood up. Of course they had. Yeah, look at me, Kilkenny, number one. And oh, gosh. And then I looked around the room, and a lot of people were in GA jersey. And I was like, what is going on here? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> 
And you're like, oh, my granny's from Mullingar, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds, it is, it is a, a weird time though, when you first enter like vet school and you have to find your feet and yeah, it's, uh, it's gas. I, I didn't go to UCD, but yeah, Nottingham was uh, also very exciting and just trying to but like so then figure, when you figure in. Was it the same thing where like you were, did you naturally gravitate towards any other Irish or did, were you? Well, I was, I was the only Irish person in my class. Well, there was a couple of uh, Northern Irish and like, but I generally like just, it was very lucky I just hung out with my housemates and, and um, yeah, anyone that was probably into like, you know, from the country and into horses and into cows and things, that's kind of where I probably went to. But yeah, I had a, Everyone. I had friends from all around. See, I went, did uh, the prelim course. So, like, there was loads of postgrads in my year. So, uh, it was uh, a mix. There was a classics guy with a classics degree, a guy with a, a geography degree, a musician. Uh, it was everything. So, it wasn't, we were kind of an eclectic mix of people. <laughs> and so, and were, was everyone like, oh, like, this Irish person, like, so exotic? Or were they, were yeah. They were like, they were like, what did you just say? Or, you know, like, can you repeat that, Hazel? And yeah, no, it was, um, I was known as the Irish one. Um, but there was like a couple in the year above and the year below. But it was, it was, we had a little, maybe five of us. Gas. That's great. Like, I, I think it's, um, it's also great, yeah, it's great living with people as well. Like, um, that's one thing maybe I was a bit unlucky about. I think most people in Dublin, they still lived at home. And okay. Everyone else was living on campus or near campus. So, no, it didn't stop you from like leaping over basically and joining in the fun. But I think that's probably one of the great things that not only you probably have lifelong friendships there. Like I do. It's just hard to keep in contact. But yeah, I really do. It's great. Yeah. And so do you want to tell us about like where you went kind of your career after that, after the madness of vet school? Yeah. Era? So I uh I had I suppose in my mind I thought to myself. Uh, okay, I've done because I did an Erasmus year in Munich uh, in the middle of the arts degree. So I was like, oh, I spent four years in in UCD. I spent five years doing veterinary. I was at nine years. I'm sort of well, why not go for the decade? And <laughs> did, did a year as a small animal medicine intern in UCD. Um, so at the time, initially, I was actually quite keen on going in the route of specialisation, and I had a strong interest in medicine. I still would. I still would prefer medical cases over surgical cases, and I suppose as the, the kind of those months went on, I was quite lucky, like the other interns were great, like really, really good, solid interns. We kind of helped each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was tough and it got tougher as like the year went on. And I suppose then at the end of it, I kind of realized that what I was missing was I'd not, like none of my cases are really my own. And um, you kind of were managing cases and there was a lot of inputs from different directions. So I kind of decided to, after the internship, go over to the UK and I deliberately chose a place that I think what were the three criteria had to be near an airport had to be had to have a number of cert holders because I felt like I wanted to learn like again like really quickly and then the third one actually was that there had to be a, a sports team nearby as well uh, so not too like most places will fill those criteria mm-hmm. uh, I worked in to a place. play sport or to support them uh, well, to play, well, initially to play, <laughs> not playing that much sport there. I joined the rugby team and it was good, but I can't, I don't think I played that much of it. Yeah, so, but it was good. Like, it was good to have that, to have that on the list, even though it wasn't like a major thing. 
Um, Could have lists. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I'd say that if if anyone's thinking of like you know where they're going to go next, I think it's good to make a list. Uh, certainly, like what's important to you. Uh, so I was only probably twenty or forty-five minutes from Stansted Airport, and that was great. And then came back to Dublin and uh, worked in uh, a couple of different locations uh, in Dublin, all the same branch of practices, but just between, multi-site, probably the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to take a, a break from clinical practice, and I did uh, two years in the it was two to three years actually in the HPRA, the Medicines Board, yeah, and. Yeah, like that was good. It was good. And um, there's certainly a lot of positives to it. So it's excellent for like work-life balance. So I'm very lucky in that I have a family and I have three young children. At the time I had one uh, young child and uh, it was great for like work-life balance. But the the work changed a little bit as the time went on and it became less interesting. Like, you know, I certainly had less interest and I felt like I was getting further away from animals as yeah. the kind of changed that the role changed a little bit and then uh, nearly three years ago actually then i moved to a busy kind of second opinion referral practice in uh, dublin nookrope uh, which is kind of in south dublin very close to Ireland, which is why the walking videos weren't actually too bad because it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't too much of, of uh, living the dream walking to work this is it this is it um, we know that you call yourself the topical vet on social media. So tell us about your further interests. So you obviously have an interest in skin. Yeah, love skin, love skin. So I think that anyone who's in first opinion practice, like you're gonna see so much skin. Like each day I'll see multiple cases, multiple cases. And even in a normal health exam, I think if you look closely, you'll probably find some abnormalities. And it's getting to the point now where I think you have to be careful in terms of not like over representing anything that you see um but certainly i think it's really worthwhile and i'd make a point of it now to make sure that you've got a nice otoscope and have a good look down the ears of every single dog and cat that, uh, that comes your way because oftentimes those hidden areas can be really really important spots for like picking up skin disease i suppose what part part of why i got so interested in in skin was that I felt like I felt like a lot of the cases I was seeing, or that maybe I was inheriting, or that came that came to me like at the same time of the year for itchiness. I felt like I didn't have a good framework to deal with them, and I ended up just more or less like giving them more steroids because another vet might have given them before or something like that. But mm-hmm. I didn't have like a really kind of thorough understanding of like you know why was I doing this or you know, what were the alternatives or, you know, what's the best way to manage um, manage this? And then I started to get really interested in ear disease. So that was kind of where it first started. So I just kept, like, I went to all the CPD I called about ear disease. When I was in the UK, Sue Patterson, who's like an ear god, she mm-hmm. was doing, um, yeah, she was doing lots of CPD. I don't know if she was based around there. I thought she was based up in Scotland. But anyway, it just so happened that I was lucky to see lots of her CPD. And then I started like working that into the first opinion consult. So instead of just sending an animal home with Surlan, I was sending home with an ear cleaner and then Surlan for like the, the evening, we'll say, so ear cleaner, morning, Surlan, evening. And then I'd see them back. And next thing you'd start working in cytology. And then very slowly but surely you start to feel more armed. So now, like if I were to see an ear case now, 
uh, there's no like unless it's an absolutely fractious patient where I you know but even at that you still can get a cotton swab in I will take cytology I'll try and figure out what I'm dealing with the benefit of that to the client is that you're you're there you're talking in black and white it's not just like my opinion like this you know this is objective you can see yeast underneath the microscope this is the best medicine to treat it and sometimes if it's busy you'll just take your swabs you'll have them all labeled and you'll say hey listen I'm pretty confident this is um, yeast. I'm going to use this treatment. I will send you a text this evening or I'll give you a quick room. Mm-hmm. We can just talk about it. And, yeah. then you, and then generally I'll map out like the, uh, the treatment plan. So generally it takes around four weeks for an ear to become non-infected. If you're, if you're doing well, sometimes in rare cases like a week. Mm-hmm. And then generally I'll do a final check because usually there's some kind of underlying cause and it's rare that you'll get like a primary uh, ear infection. And sorry, I think your general question is about dermatology. I don't know why I went straight onto ears there, but I think that, that you love them. But that that's why, like, I do love ears. That's probably the one thing about dermatology I love the most. I love ears. <laughs> I really love. Um, but that is that really is why because I realised I could do better than what mm. I was doing historically, and then I went ahead and committed to the search. So I started the search in I think May twenty nineteen, and I did it with. Uh, the University of Liverpool, and mm-hmm. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I had uninterrupted uh, modules. You have to do six modules. I just finished the last one there. Um, yeah. And uh, so, waiting yeah. results? No, no, results are in, so that's all, oh. it's all gravy. Um, oh, good. Yeah. So, so are you like a cert holder or so? Yeah. So, I think I, think I can call myself an advanced practitioner in dermatology. Okay, you've heard it here first. He's an advanced practitioner in dermatology. And then I think normally you'd sit the synoptic exam so that you could be called a dermatologist. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, and but they, because of COVID, they've been putting the long finger. So traditionally, they would be bringing up next year. But I, like we have, I've, like I've applied for them, but there's no firm date with the way things are at the moment. I don't know, they might have to do them. Well, congratulations, Dara. That's brilliant. By Zoom. Yeah, they could do it by Zoom. I, yeah. To need for you know, um, someone like that who's yeah. done them because I know that there's probably some practical aspect to them, but I wonder could they do them by Zoom? Yeah, hmm. is um, there anything that can't be done over Zoom these days? Congratulations <laughs> <A hug>. on <laughs> your search in dermatology. There's definitely a huge need for more search holders in Durham in Ireland. You know, I, I just I genuinely find it really, really interesting. Really interesting. You love dermatology too, Michelle, don't you? Yeah. I suppose because I work for Decra and I also have skin disease. <laughs> so yeah. I understand it because I used to teach it as well, you know, in like in Lunch and Learns. So I kind of felt I was better able to explain it. I feel like people always learn something when they left my Lunch and Learn because I would ask them, did you learn anything? I was like, you will learn, don't worry. I see some of you shaking your head going, oh no, what's such a day? Skin. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm like, oh no, no, it's okay. It won't be boring. My lunch and learns are good crack. But um, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I think it's because I have skin disease myself. And I also because I realise how challenging it is for vets to manage it um, and nurses and for owners. Like, it's a ball ache having to put drops into a dog's ear twice a day or wash them all the time. I know how difficult it is for me to be rubbing cream on my psoriasis twice a day or whatever. So it is really challenging. Um, but it is rewarding then when you get it right. So I do. If I could pick your brain then, Michelle. Like, how would you see, this is something I'm trying to think in my own mind, like, how can I best utilize the vet nurses to help with, like, 
you know, dermatology service and things like that. Like the obvious answer is something like dermatology. You, with your experience, you might have other insights. Like, get, if you have any nurse in the practice that's interested in dermatology, get her to join the Vet Nurse Dermatology Group. They're a UK-based group and it's free to join and there's access to lots of really good CPD there, which is directed solely at nurses and how they can work well with the vet and drive dermatology in the practice. Um, and yeah, like Sue Patterson herself will tell you like, in her referral center that she doesn't even do her rechecks, her nurses do, you know? They do the cytology, they take the swab, they look down the ears, but I guess, you know, she probably has these people really well trained and only if they perceive there's an issue do they get her to look at it. Um, I remember her saying that at, at FICAS a few years ago, um, but again, you know, that's obviously how she works with her team. Um, but yeah, like cytology definitely in the basics and rechecks and cleaning like even just teaching people how to clean like ear cleaning is so important like i always say it needs to start at the puppy stage like you do everything else not over cleaning because you don't want to cause problems but like you do with any behavioral animal like if it's a foal you pick up their feet when they're babies and tap it because you know you're gonna have to pick their feet up when they get older it's the same with ear cleaning so i always would say recommend it from the get-go top tip always warm your cleaner <laughs> or anything you're putting in like if you plunge anything freezing cold into anyone's ear they're not going to like it but yeah, there's a great role for nurses um, and I try and drive that in our practice here as well, you know, because as you said earlier, it's the bread and butter of veterinary um, first opinion. I think I think as well, like the, the owners do end up getting on board pretty quickly. Like I've had a few kind of second opinions about the, like maybe well-managed uh, skin cases where there was nothing wrong done, like nothing wrong done at all. But like you just say, it comes down to maybe kind of communication and preparing people that it's something that's going to require management. And I think that's why, like, you know, in a lighthearted way, Michelle, I even, I think it was two days ago, I had an owner who, her whole family had storage mite hypersensitivity. So they had like allergic eczema as mm -hmm. humans. So like, that's like, you're the perfect owner. I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> like obviously it's terrible that you have this impediment or this skin disease. Terrible. But, terrible. But it's great that, you know, you, you get. Yeah, but that's yeah. what I used to always say. You have to equate it to something that the owners will understand. So you have to say, um, you know, this, if you say, oh, your dog has atopic dermatitis or whenever I had first food um, allergy, like you have to say, it's a bit like psoriasis now or dermatitis or eczema, you know? And they're yeah. like, oh yeah, geez, my husband has that now and it flares up because they know that that never goes away. You're only managing it, you know? And they think you're just going to give them a tablet and the dog's going to go home and be fine. And then they're looking at you like, why is he not fine now? Yeah. And it's class as well. Like a word like eczema, like that, that lingers in the air. You can't ignore that word. No. <laughs> is it eczema or eczema? We'll stick old, with eczema. So it's we'll old wait. English accent in me sometimes that comes out with eczema. And then sometimes I forget and just say eczema. We've gone off on a total tangent here now, like. <laughs> we better crack um, all of this interview. Oh. It's very, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, but Dara, you know, your Instagram, I suppose. Oh yeah. We all, we all follow you. And how do you think your, I know you've got your, you know, your walking thing as a, a side, but I know underneath it all, it was set up to promote skin, um, you know, health and dogs and cats. Yeah. So like, <laughs> do you find that it's a good way of communicating with your, like, what's your, what's your opinion of, of social media and your life? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my hands up and say that I'm using social media very effectively, um, at all. 
don't know. I think I set up that Instagram. I had a Windows 10 phone, which you guys are probably too young to remember, but this was a brief operating system that <laughs> very briefly was popular. And they didn't call them apps, they called them the full name applications. Uh, it, it didn't have access to Instagram, it called like, like Seven Space or something like that. So I set up my Instagram profile via like a Windows phone, uh, which is like basically like an old person trying to use a laptop. To, <laughs> and uh, I put a photo of a shirt hanging up in the corner of my unfurnished apartment in, uh, in England. And then the next photo I put up was a tick that I removed from a puppy. And then there was nothing for like seven years. So, um, <laughs> so. so you were way ahead of all of us, to be honest. Yeah, that, again, my advanced age, Hazel. You were one of the originals. You were the original Instagram vet. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was. But to answer your question directly, I think that uh, social media is great. Um, but I'd be a bit, I, was, I still am a little bit cautious about it. So, for example, I'm naturally probably a bit of a cautious person. Uh, my mindset would be slightly cautious and I, I, would, I would have stayed away from Facebook in terms of putting myself forward as a vet, mainly because I didn't want people to know I was a vet and maybe come around to me and ask like, my opinion if I was want, just wanted a cup of hot chocolate or something like that in the evening. Yeah. Um, and also just I found that maybe in Facebook sometimes you find that people are very free to express their opinion whether it's positive or negative and not maybe have as much tact as they would if it was face-to-face. -face. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how you guys would feel like that. Oh, I, I gave up on Facebook um, years ago just because I just, I don't know. And then Twitter is like a whole different, oh, just a whole different kettle of fish. Like I, I would just like, I enjoy Instagram because it's, it's a positive, generally positive place. And I feel a little bit, I don't know, not as um, exposed maybe um, as, as Twitter and facebook but i don't know maybe you have I, the same i agree like and I, I think tommy the vet says that he says like twitter is like it's great for getting information out there but it also it can be quite vitriolic and then instagram i 100 percent agree with you i what i found so refreshing is that it's it is it, it's a very positive it's almost like that leg movie where it's like everything is awesome but, <laughs> <laughs> like whole time. but not in an excessive way it, it is just yeah really, it's supportive and I think that's probably why even those walking stories, um, it took me a while to get it, but then I was put up a story and then uh, 24 hours later, it disappears. Mm -hmm. and even if someone had said something like, your, your camber around that corner was terrible, sure it's gone. Yeah. Man, forgotten about it, it's yesterday's news. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why, Today I put up a story and I was like, oh, scanning suckers instead of scanning oh. sucklers. Oh, did you? So, I did. Cast it it's, it's gone tomorrow. It's fine. <laughs> you read that and all, and I read sucklers. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I definitely felt like I could be myself on Instagram, where on Twitter I was a little bit, I kind of started off being myself and then I was like, oh God. I'm a bit nervous now because I'm going to get, you know, someone saying, oh, you know, that cow isn't in the right place or that 
cow's tail is pointing the wrong way or you know I feel like they're just I think people like to find a fault in a photograph or a story or a video maybe but um yeah, I think people are quite kind on Instagram usually. On this, I think it's a great community on really Instagram bad. as well, though, especially with the veterinary whole industry. Do you know, it seems like I'm not talking about yeah, your year, Dara, is like completely taken over Instagram. Yeah, but I think that, but to be fair, I think it it is a very good way to almost like you were back in the corridors between lectures talking absolute ring, like yeah. that's kind of what it is. Except we're now a little bit older. I certainly am. The, the one thing I would say though is that I, I do feel like I I wanted to put up more veterinary content and hope mm -hmm. to step a little bit sideways away from the walking content. Now as it turns out people are sending me videos they're like oh please analyze my gait. I'm like I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I keep on trying to step away but they just drag me step back. Step away. <laughs> oh. The one thing that I'm not totally comfortable about doing yet is that I'm just so conscious that say if we have like a, a brachycephalic in for boa staging or something like that, mm. like the, the owner might like, you know, you might have taken a fantastic photo of, you know, uh, that French bulldog, you know, before everything, you know, before sedation. And then you might have taken great photos uh, during it. But I'm just so cautious, like the owner might have a completely different opinion. And, you know, I... I that's one thing I'm still reluctant. I'm very happy to ask owners for permission to post for uh, things where, you know, annual health checks really is where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. And some, some of my like long-standing skin cases, like I know them so well now that I'm saying to them, do you mind if I use it for educational purposes and use it on social media? Um, but I am conscious, that's maybe the one, the one thing I'm still a little bit hesitant about is that side of things. And then I see maybe some of the other veterinary profiles and particularly in North America and sometimes there's like photos of you know a, a cat that would have been severely traumatized and it's up there and I can't imagine that the owners know that those photos are up there and it just doesn't sit well with me so I'm kind of I'm trying to find that balance in my mind I, I, I'm not sure totally what's the right path. I, I think, so, sorry Hazel but I, ahead, I, I think for companion animals definitely like I manage the social medias for our practice and you have to be very careful what you share and you have to have permission for everything and um and it's like would you share a photograph of someone's child do you know what i mean like that's mm. how you have to treat companion animals because that's what they are to people and definitely as you said like you have to be be very careful and i, I wouldn't go down the route that they're doing I, and i have to admit i've seen some practices where they've shared some stuff and it's a little out there i'm like oh yeah, there was there was a case brought against uh, I don't remember her name, but she was quite a, a prominent uh, small animal vet um, in Poland, maybe or somewhere, and or maybe it was England. Um, she was she was, po she was a Polish. She was Polish, I believe, and she was practicing. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, and like that was scary, you know. And she, yeah, I, I don't think she meant any anything, and like she didn't even. Sh I don't think she even showed anything particularly bad. It was just that she didn't ask permission. So it was about, about a year ago, I think, or a year and a half ago. Yeah, I think she got made an example of. And I think, mm. what, if I'm not mistaken, I think she took a photo of a guinea pig's nail trim or something like that. And yeah, it, was, it was only the guinea pig's foot that was in it. But the owner realized that that's the color of my guinea pig. This is the date of the photo that was put up. My guinea pig was in that day and had an issue. And 
I suppose that set the precedent. I don't believe that the BCI have taken anything, have taken any cases, but usually they mirror the approach taken by the RCVS. So, yeah. Yeah. So look, it's um, but I do think it's it's a great way of educating, and it's it's a great way of you can share. I think like, you know, like you share your histology slides and things, which are brilliant. And you know, there's ways of sharing information without actually having pets in it, if you yeah. get me. So, um, so I think there's ways around it. Share the more serious things as well. Like there are some really good um, Instagram vets out there, small animal ones like Maraid from our vets, who has on occasion shared maybe quite a sad story but with permission you know or something that went really truly really wrong and you know she's asked the owner said look this is really sad but this will really help other people not end up in the same situation and i think that's really worthwhile doing but again it's kind of you have to do it on a case Marie is so authentic in, in terms of how she puts up stuff and she's done really really well like you know you feel like you're sitting in the room talking with her and i think that's that's as good as the client can hope for, and especially nowadays. I, like that's one thing that I'm I'm conscious of is that we're asking the client, we're asking a lot of the clients. I don't know if you guys are doing curbside, but we we still are because, uh, yeah, and and you're asking a lot of the clients, especially with the amount of pups and kittens on the ground now. So, like you say, Michelle, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Like the type of uh, values that are put on these companion animals, and for them to kind of, you know, be brought in on a sip lead and, you know, you're, you're not actually physically seeing the client as well. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. And I think that's, that is maybe one thing where I think a lot, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's a little trend towards practices who wouldn't traditionally have been active in social media becoming a little bit more active because, and I think that it's a two-way thing. It's not just that you feel that you should be doing this. It's also nice to like almost show people what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have to find new ways of communicating now and social media is really, um, really good. Like we, we are curbside and the vets, the owner can't come into the building at all and the vets do go out to speak to them but they're wearing a mask as well. So we've done a, a sheet where there's a information as to what's going to happen when their pet comes in and, and why we have to do this. And then there's a picture of all the vets as well and their names and who they are because, you know, you're, you're handing over your pet to this person in a mask. Mm um that yeah. you may not have met that pet before because we've got a lot of vets and it's you know so at least they have something to read when you're inside with their pet and then they can see oh that's actually tim that's who's looking after my pet today or yeah. whoever well, that's a good idea michelle yeah because there is a there is a slight moment of panic when they're like oh can i can i not go in with her is she oh and it's like oh i'm really really sorry but there's just nobody allowed in the clinic and it is a mo like you might have said it over the phone but maybe they like might be panicked when they're ringing and they just haven't really taken it in and it's it is it is because like, everyone's so proud of their dog as well like I know when I bring my dog to the vet I'm like look at her she's beautiful you know admire her and um I think that's kind of I know I, I always try at the door I'm like oh isn't she gorgeous and like you know try to have that experience because I think that's a big thing about going to the vet because you're so proud of your pet and it's like it's like a child and you just want it to be treated nicely and when you, the door is closed behind you and you don't know what's going on it's 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 i definitely can fit into the owner's shoes there and kind of be like oh i wonder what's going on in there you know but yeah we only do our best isn't it yeah grim. So. covid grim times but look i think we're all doing a good job with what we can yes. do. even today for example one of uh, one of the nurses baked Vegan brownies. I think she put some Terry's chocolate orange in them. Mm. And uh, we have, 
Oh, I'm gonna definitely. Oh, I'm gonna. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, but but one of the nurses anyway took off her mask momentarily to eat, and I was like, I was like, what? Like, you're not seeing like people's face anywhere. I don't think I've actually seen her face because she she's new. She's one of the newest nurses. And I was like, whoa! Like, you're human. <laughs> you have teeth. Jesus, <laughs> Mary, I wouldn't recognize you on the street. <laughs> But it, that's apparently the big thing now. I, I heard that the, the new iPhone is getting launched and it's some scandalous money. It's like absolutely ridiculous money. But apparently there's no like uh, fingerprint unlock. It's all with the face unlock. And they're saying this is a bad time to be doing face unlock. Oh my God. If you're wearing glasses and you have a hat on in winter and you're wearing the mask, like where's your face like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I actually forgot today. I was eating my lunch in my office and then I went to the bathroom to wash my hands and I was in my office by myself and I just forgot to put my mask on. And then I was like, walking down, not a bother, big naked face on me. And then I kind of, <laughs> and I like was walking by the kennels and the vets were doing something. And I was like, oh, what's the going on? I'm so scared my mask. I was like, I forgot my mask. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anyone, but I was just a panic. Oh, I know. In the building with no mask on my face. But like it's, it's just having a mask in every pocket. That's the key. Have a mask in every pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so matter. So when you're out walking, Dara, and you just decide, oh, I'm gonna maybe go and get myself a pack of sweets to give myself some energy to get home. You could just pop on your mask and, you know, sort of. Maybe that's your next video. Maybe like mask and walking and breathing through the mask maybe and that kind of thing i don't know do you know what hazel i did actually think about doing like covid related walking <laughs> and i thought it might be perceived as like disingenuous like i'm, I'm still because <laughs> you know this is serious but i did a bit of research about walking i was, I was looking at some of the um some of the kind of i'm just i just think there's a link there that hasn't been fully explored and um, oh god because, like, if you look at, and you take anyone, uh, so you take Mahatma Gandhi, Muhammad Ali, Mary Robinson, any of the big hitters, mm -hmm. and I think I definitely have seen footage of all of them walking. They're all excellent in their own various spheres, but what do they all have in common? They can, I don't know. They can get from A to B. I don't know. Bipedal ambulation. Oh, but but oh, God! I'm sorry. Bipedal emulation, right. Well, it, that's going to be like the hashtag of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that I think the walking vet could could like maybe take maybe we could have a new page. <laughs> like, I might as well not be. A, I might as well take up the walking full time. <laughs> I mean, there is an I, Olympic, I mean, there is an Olympic sport in walking. Um, maybe you could get into. It's that if it if regret if it progresses. I've had a few walking envy moments, so <laughs> I think I put up my stories. I saw an elderly person, and oh boy, their movement was just effortless, Beautiful. effortless. And then, and then, actually, around my area, there is uh, what I would call an Olympic grade walker. Mm. This man, this man can walk. Like I'm not at the stage yet where I wear full lycra walking. This man is. <laughs> He's going at some pace. Have you discussed this with your wife that maybe that this is one of your idols and this could... Sure, she told me about him. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And is is your is your I don't know what's your wife's name? Lizzie. Lizzie, is she behind the camera then? You know, filming because that that moment where she fell over as well. That was just genius so, how she had the camera on at that time to capture that. Yeah, so <laughs> she actually she was there for that, and then as soon as that was filmed, she um uh, some of her friends came around the corner. And I was on the ground. <laughs> I, was, I was on the ground at the time. And then she told me never, never again. again. <laughs> never so, again, so anyway, we could talk about the development of of walking on the top of it all day, but we should probably talk about your biggest life lesson, Mara. Apart from obviously, you know, falling over when you're doing a U-turn. But is there anything that words of wisdom for people listening? I would have, if, as a vet, I have one main uh, motto, which is the main thing is don't panic. I think that has served me well. Like you'll be doing even something simple like a spay and a pedicle might drop or a ligature might, you know, not, not tie down as well as you want. But I think just go back to your basics. Ask the nurse to shut the door, please. Keep, keep a nurse nearby. Nurses are very calming. Um, and just main thing is don't panic. And then the same would go for anything like, you know, just, and then maybe another thing would be just, especially in these times, just be mindful of, of other people. Like if, if a client is perceived to be frustrating or anything like that, I suppose nowadays we really all have to take a step back and wonder, you know, maybe things aren't going so well for, for someone on the other end. So just be mindful. But I think that's what's so great about like the vet space and vets in general. Like I think that we, we have great empathy for animals. Um, what is what you do to unwind and maintain and mind your own mental health or your well-being or how do you cope with that? Um, I suppose like nature is great. Nature is great. Like a walk, like a nice walk in nature is always really, really good for clearing the head. Um, I think any physical activity, like walking is good because it slows your mind down. I think, I think they've done studies and show that when you walk, you're like more inclined to talk more. Where I think that you you formulate your thoughts better, mm. and that would be it, really. Just activity and and talking, like you know, talking is always good as well. Um, and yeah, that's it. I suppose maybe it, nowadays it's like a bit more different with like the like shorter days and things like that. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, and would you have a good work? Like, would your rota be quite good? You know, would you do a lot of days on call or anything, or how? Is it no one call or what's your rota like? Is it? Uh, I, so we're quite lucky in that we don't have uh, we don't have on calls. So once the phones are off, then that's it; they're off. And then we work kind of one weekend in three, which isn't too bad. Okay, isn't too bad. yeah. And you could be lucky with your weekend, or you could be on. And and sure, that's and is that Saturday and Sunday then the whole weekend? Is it? Uh, so you'd just be working, say, the, the Saturday um, consults, and then you again, like you could be very lucky, and you might be finished in by like lunchtime. There might be anything that comes in, or you might be slammed. Depends. Um, I can tell you're cautious talking to me because you're like, hmm, she's just back from a call at half a state on a Thursday night. <laughs> well, I, I, I think like even talking to John, <laughs> it, it, you know, I think. The, in, in mixed practice, it seems vicious. I think Molly definitely have it. Well, like John fits his stories at like four o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh, off for a section. 
And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't done a section in about three months. And then you'll get another story and it'll be like, oh, another one. And it's like half six in the morning. And he doesn't, it's just so normal to him. I just, I don't know. Yeah, well, that man, like he's, he's a serious man for just like keep, keeps on working. But I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, in terms of, I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know, what, what, what would you guys do to kind of de-stress and de- unwind? Well, I, I definitely to- walk. Yeah. Uh, doggies and walking and farming and shopping love shopping and I just there's always like I don't know what it is but like a day in town for me and a good cup of coffee and like a day browsing I just absolutely love it and I know it's not particularly like physical or and it's probably bad for my pocket but I don't know everyone's different and everyone has their little thing that that just makes them feel I suppose de-stresses and makes you feel like you're not a vet for the day or something, you know, as well. Maybe one thing, and it's only recently, in recent years, I probably would have gotten better at it, but switching off from work, I didn't even think of that aspect. But I I do think, like, if I think back in my, when I started out in practice, I I would have had a lot of stuff, stuff like riding on my mind. And now I'd, I'd say I'm much better at walking out and, and just being done with it and I suppose that does come at a cost so if it means I'm not finished on time exactly like I'll have all my notes done all my callbacks done as I'm leaving so there's nothing like pushed over to the next day so there is a cost to it there's a time cost but at least then I feel like I can you know yeah. walk away so Dara just to finish off your funniest veterinary moment to date um okay so I, I did I did I was thinking about this one and I, I, I'd be guilty of saying that I find other people's stories much funnier than my own. <laughs> and I can always remember my friend's stories much better than my own. However, that being said, um, the most recent one that I can think of would have been maybe last summer, so uh, summer of 2019. And this, uh, this German shepherd came to me for a second opinion for obviously a skin issue. So it was... Um, perivulvar, perivulvar dermatitis and um, there was a male and a female owner in the room and I remember just thinking like, do you, like before COVID you, like maybe you guys be the same that you, you kind of had a set place that you would stand in the concert room and it was nearly natural where the clients would stand you know that mm-hmm. generally most people yeah exactly most people yeah. triangle themselves around yeah. the and I remember thinking this is very strange because um, they they both stood like really quite close to me, um, and I was I was like I was okay with it. I'm not too big on like personal space, but I did think it was a little bit odd. And just there were small things in the first concert that had me a little bit spooked. And they were I didn't fully trust them if I'm being honest because they were they were quite honest in their comments about where they had come from. Mm-hmm. And I like I never pass comment on on other vets, and I just I had no time for it really. Um, and so, so the main issue was that they didn't want any sedation done with this dog to try and solve the problem. I said, okay, fine, like, we'll give this a shot. Let me see if I can take a cytology sample and try and figure out what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So I did the old Tellington touch technique. I'm sure you guys have well, I, don't, you I have no idea what you're talking about now. Have you heard of Tellington touch or T-touch, I think it's called? <laughs> Again, I'm showing my age. I'm showing my age here. This would be like a big, kind of uh, popular thing. I think honestly, around 40 years ago, where this uh, researcher had a thing where she had like a leopard claw 
and you'd put it in behind like the, the dog's shoulder and you'd, you'd have your hands like that and just gently try and stimulate the blood supply around the shoulder region. And then even better would be like working the ears, which it, uh, Mairead actually probably would know more than I would about this because I, apparently it stimulates some of the acupuncture points and things like that. But it's supposed to be quite a good way to get uh, a dog to calm and to kind of realize that you're not a threat. So okay. I started doing that and I'm doing it nearly subconsciously. Like I'll, that's how now I kind of handle animals. I'll try and like get them to, to come around to me. And anyway, between the owners and myself, we managed to get the dog to lie down on the side in the console ring. And so I got a, a glass slide, a microscope slide, and I got a direct impression smear from the affected area. And um, the lady kept mentioning the anatomy of the affected area and she kept then pointing to herself as if I didn't understand <laughs> the area like, so there was like a lot of like, visual representation <laughs> at that point I was like on, I was on my knees like with the dog and by that point she had stood up so when she was demonstrating the affected area which I could see because I, I like, and then she's at like head height and then <laughs> Her partner, I'm assuming it was her partner, was there like on the other end of the dog. And I just was, I kind of, I got very, very spooked. Anyway, <laughs> I did a cytology. I walked out, right? That was the main aim was to get cytology. Walked out, it was like uh, mainly a, a bacterial population. There was a small amount of malassezia. Mm -hmm. And so I said, do you think you'll be able to get uh, Suralan onto, onto this area? And she said, oh yeah, definitely. And I was like, Grant, come back to me in 10 days. And she came back in 10 days and the man wasn't present anymore. And she, she came like straight up to me and was like, oh, the, dog's, the dog's great. Now keep in mind, this is like your classic concert room layout. So you have a table, the vet and the computer. And then on the other side of the table is generally where the client was. But she was like almost like at the end of the table approaching me at the computer. The dog was like at the door trying to get out. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's, that's brilliant. I'm really happy to see. And I was like trying to get back to the animal. And so we got the animal, had a look, look perfect. I was like, brilliant. Like the best thing you can do here is like keep hygiene around that area, get it to lose a bit of weight and put improved confirmation around there, get it well aerated, all the normal talk about that sort of things. And um, then suddenly, like she'd been staring at me for a while. And suddenly she said something like, um, I have a gift. And I, <laughs> I was like, sorry. Oh, and she's like, I have a gift. And she points like up above. She's like, I have a gift from up above. And I was like, okay, okay. And she's like, I think you have this gift too. I like as if it was like a secret. And I, I was like, okay, I need to end. I need to end this consult now. This okay, get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was really spooked. And I was like, I kept going back to her. I was like, well, it's brilliant, you know, that your doggy's doing so well. And we're going to, you know, um, it now um trying all the different kind of like gentle like this concept is over and um, anyway she she says to me do you believe and i was like yeah like yeah i believe like in a higher being yes like you know try to keep it really vague mm. and she asked me she's like i know you have this gift and she asked me to put out my hand like straight out and she said that she would show me the the power she kept, then she started calling the power now, I would be, I wouldn't say a skeptic, but all of my decisions, at least in a professional capacity, are evidence-based, or mm -hmm. at least as many as I can make are evidence-based. But I realized that I wasn't really going to get anywhere um, unless like, I went along with this. So I held my hand out, fully expecting nothing to happen. 
and she clapped her hands together and she started moving them slowly together, like creating friction. And then she started making wider circles like this. And then she made like a really wide above my outstretched hand. And I'm not even pins and needles in my hand. And I shot my hand back. I was like, what the hell? And she, she just pointed and she says, yes. And she walked back. <laughs> I was like, what? And I, I walked out to the nurses and I was like, you guys, you're not going to believe this. Like, I felt like I had to tell them. And like, I, then I told my mom, my mom would be mad for that kind of stuff. Mm. And, um, but I still remember that lady and I thank her. I haven't actually seen her since. <laughs> but I do thank her because it, there's things, times like that when you realise like, you think that you know everything in the consult room or you feel that you should know everything in the consult room. To nurses yeah. from vets, you know, prior to you coming up after it. Um, and that kind of taught me something. Do not be so dismissive of, because there was, there was something. something. There was something. The power was there. I don't know what that was, Hazel. I'm not even kidding you. Like, and it wasn't even that, you know, I can understand it nearly if it was psychosomatic. So I was nearly primed to, to you know. That's something. Yes, but I, I'm not even like the the way I did it. I was kind of like I was looking at her doing the hand thing, and I was like, I was like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But I, I still wasn't like you know a, a participant member in a I don't know a ventriloquist act or something like that. You know, I felt like I knew what was going on. <laughs> well, look, it's a good message to end on, isn't it? Hardest your power since because she said you had it. No. I don't know. Sometimes, like if I concert really hard, like I feel like a tingling in the back of my head. But I, I now I'm just like now I feel like I'm just trying to imagine things where they are. There. <laughs> right, it's quick. Dara over the topical vet. Hazel, do you want to go? I will. Or do you want to do the first few? No, nope. I'll leave it up to you. No. Okay. <laughs> Straight okay, up. Dara, are you ready? Okay, yeah. walking or running? Left Whoa. or right turns? Left. Oh, Consulting God. or surgery? Consult. Skin scrape or hair pluck? Oh, I love hair plucks. I actually love hair plucks. Instagram or Facebook? Uh, Instagram. Lunges or squats? Uh, become more fond of squats recently. Oh. Uh, topical or systemic treatment? Topical, all the way. Hashtag ad or hashtag gifted? I don't understand either of them, so I just go. <laughs> hashtag disclosure is your favourite, isn't it? I don't know what that means. Full disclosure. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry that, yes. And yeah. Michelle, you have one final one, don't you? Um, if John GAA Fitz and Richie the Dark Ryan Badger were both running for the presidency, who would you vote for? Oh, they're like two, two very good friends. Um, this we know. We had prior. This knowledge. is why we didn't turn it. We didn't turn it into who would you save in a burning building. So we we we, t- we they both survive. Just one becomes president. Okay, okay. Here's here's what I'll say. I know John Fitz won't mind me saying this. Raw talent, Ryan Richard Ryan is so <laughs> principled. He's so principled that I think he would be a fair and honest leader. Whereas I've seen John Fitz when he's hungry and we have to buy a costume in a pound store coming up to Halloween and I've seen that side of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Ireland's ready to see that. No, I don't think anyone's ready for that, are they? <laughs> oh, that was very good. 
Dara. Well, Dara, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. No, thank you. I thought it was very good. I enjoyed it as well. So thanks so much. It's good crack. We laughed a lot and we hope that our listeners laugh, laugh a lot too and it makes their day. So um, that's the aim of the game, really. Yeah, so thank you so much again, and we will surely see you on your stories. No worries, no worries. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Fed Space Ireland podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to find out more, go to FedSpaceIreland.ie. And don't forget to check us out on social media and tag us whilst you're listening to the podcasts. We'd love to see it.